after my most recent game plan was far from pretty, but it was pretty effective. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of Miami Total Football Radio, aka Miami Total Football Radio, the number one podcast on Inter Miami. I am half of your co-hosting team. My name is Franco Panizo and joining me today as he normally does is Steve El Primo Brenner. Steve, how are you doing? How's your fine Friday going? Es viernes y el cuerpo lo sabe, as we say in Spanish, which translates to it's Friday and your body knows it. The Friday, la vina tinto, that's the time, <laughs> definitely for sure. Uh, twice, twice in a week now, we're, uh, we're going on overload. We are going on overload, you're right about that, but that's because it's a busy week for Inter Miami with three games. And since we went long on the show earlier in the week that we recorded on Monday, we're going to try to condense this one a lot more. We'll talk about the one-to-one draw in the Sunshine Clásico, El Clásico del Sol against rivals Orlando City on Wednesday. We'll preview this weekend's upcoming game against Nashville SC and answer a couple of questions, just a couple of questions, at the end of the show. Steve, there's plenty to talk about. Let's not waste any more time. So, let's get to it. So, as we mentioned, Inter-Miami continued this recent unbeaten run, extended to three games and it did so with that one-to-one draw away mm-hmm. to Orlando City at Explorer Stadium in Orlando, Florida. Orlando City took the lead right before halftime off of a nicely headed goal from center back Antonio Carlos. But Inter Miami got an equalizer from an unlikely hero. Left wing back Kieran gives his first MLS goal in the 66th minute off a nice header as well. And the two teams split the spoils. Now, like I said in the intro of this pod, it was not pretty. The game was not a masterclass in attacking soccer from either side. A very gritty affair, not a whole lot of chances in this one, but it proved enough for Inter-Miami to get a result. Quickly, before we jump into it a little bit further, this was Inter-Miami's lineup. Nick Marsman in goal, Victor Ulloa as the right wing back, Kelvin Leardam as the right center back, Nicolas Figal as the middle of the three center backs, Christian McLuhan as the left center back, Kieran Gibbs, as mentioned previously, as the left wing back. Your two central midfielders were Blaise Matuidi and Gregory. And up top, you had Lewis Morgan on the right, Gonzalo Higuain at the striker, and Robbie Robinson on the left. So that was Inter Miami's formation. It was a 5-2-3. It morphed into different looks throughout the course of the game, but... We'll jump into that in a second. Steve, what was your biggest takeaway from this game, from this one-to-one affair? Yeah, I was just watching from far. I wasn't working, so I was just uh, keeping an eye on it. I think they just they, gro- they grounded out, didn't they? You know, I think they recovered well from going going to go down. Uh, they kind of stuck in there. Orlando weren't creating much. Like you say, Neville made a bit of a, a tactical change. He shored up the middle. Um, thought Kieran Gibbs' performance um, was capped with the, with the goal. I thought, you know, that was a nice... Good, great finish. I thought he did well. Uh, you know, they would have taken that before the, before the start of the game as well. So, um, you know, Iguain struggled. I know the sort of the coaching team, whatever, weren't particularly that impressed with, with his performance, but maybe just, you know, it wasn't his night. He had his night the other night. Um, yeah, I thought they, they just dug in, right? I thought, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it was an, a gritty performance. I think it was, uh, like I've said in my post-game coverage, I think it was an ugly but effective performance. It was definitely not pretty. Inter-Miami, as Phil Neville admitted after the game, the plan was to close in the spaces behind and as well as in the middle. So Inter-Miami focused more on the defensive side of things in this one, and probably rightfully so because of 
Orlando City's ability to to cause you damage in the final third with Nani, Chris Mueller. Daryl DK didn't dress in this one, but they still have other options. Uh, Pereira. So they have they have a few options that can cause you damage. And Inter Miami was aware of that and game plan for that and, and centered their game plan around that. Probably in large part due to the fact that they were down some center backs because Lando Gonzalez Pires was suspended for this one. Ryan Shawcross was still dealing with the back spasm, so he did not dress. And recent signing Ventura Alvarado also picked up an injury from what I have heard. So the three players were out, so Phil Neville had to get creative in terms of how to how to fill up his back line, and he put an emphasis on that. It was clear from the lineup that it was a bit more defensive because you didn't have Federico Higuain in there. You essentially only had three natural attackers, which was that front three of Robinson, Morgan, and Gonzalo Higuain. The rest of the team, more defensive-minded players are more industrious. But they played well, though. I thought Uloa, Matuidi, Gregorio, I thought they all, they all, they all played pretty well. Um, they held it together nicely in the middle. Yeah, no, listen, I, again, I think from uh, just a, That's what ta- a tactical performance, you know, I think they got what they were looking for. You know, they, they didn't give up a whole lot from the run of play. As I said, Orlando City's goal comes from a corner kick, a well-worked corner kick, but it doesn't come from the run of play. Orlando City had very few opportunities from the run of play. I think they finished with four shots on target, if my memory is correct. Inter-Miami, of course, at the same time, in the same vein, only had two because, again, they they had more numbers at the back than in the front and weren't necessarily looking to take that many risks with the ball. But, Steve, this is now three games unbeaten, but they haven't played all that well. Does that matter at this point, or does it just matter that they're accumulating... Uh, and trying to get out of the basement in the exactly in the yeah conference. it doesn't it doesn't matter no one was expecting incredible performances whenever you ever seen them put an incredible performance in it hasn't hasn't been many have they really even over the last couple of years but they've they they're digging in I think that's the main thing they're not losing to go nine imagine if they went eight or nine you know defeats on the bounce it would have been it would have been bad so you know they've kind of stopped the rot confidence is a big thing it's a cliche but it's true. Um, you know, and it's just can they score enough goals? That, you know, they haven't been able to move anyone out. No one's really has come in. But I guess you know, Gibbs is a fresher player because he's only been here the last sort of six weeks. But um, you know, it's just about scoring goals. But they're you know they're they're still in with the they're still in with the shout of the playoffs. Um, but they just need to keep keep moving forward and keep trying to get some more some more wins. You touched on the playoff line. They're still eleven points shy of that right now. They do have two games in hand. Inter Miami's only played 15 matches to this point, and that is less than everybody else in the Eastern Conference. So they have games to make up, but even with that, again, the gap is still pretty sizable, but there's still a half, a little bit more than a half of the season to go. But sticking on this game, there were a lot of solid performances from a tactical standpoint, because again, this was a this was a game plan that was more focused on closing down spaces and limiting Orlando City. It wasn't necessarily about generating good soccer or good football and quality chances in the final third. They didn't do a whole lot of that, so you know the the, the front three maybe left a little bit something to be desired overall. Although I thought Robbie Robinson was pretty pretty good with what he did out there. But as for the rest of the team, who stood out to you? Who stood out to you from an individual performance standpoint? You can give me more than one player, but um, just just who did you think did well? Yeah, no, I thought, like I say, Uloa, Gregore, Matuidi, I think they just, they, they did well. They just shored up the middle of the park. And I think that's probably what he wanted to to do. Orlando have, had let in a few goals, five in, in New York. 
couple against Atlanta, wasn't it? I think. Um, so he just wanted to try and shore up, shore up the middle of the park, make sure that 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 sort of area was completely sort of you know closed up and impenetrable, and just they can they can be the work sort of horses for the rest of the team. And I guess you know they all they all did well. It's just it's just having those those chances and the chances were they didn't have a lot of chances because Higuain was was a little bit off and when he's a bit off. But I thought Bizarro did okay when he when he came on. And you just want Carranza to try and do something when he came on. But again, just just don't get too much from him, really, do you? So I will touch on that in a second. But I disagree with what you just said about Carranza. Um, because I thought he was key in helping Intermani get back into this one. And almost even being able to take away uh, the full three points. But just to touch on... Because you didn't really give me names. You said Gregory Matuidi, but that, that's it. Um, I, I thought Nicolas Figal had a really good game. I thought... Defensively, they were good, weren't they? Just right. In, in a one-to-one game, just... in a one-to-one game where you don't create much and the other team doesn't create a whole lot, you know, probably a defensive midfielder or, or a defender is probably the player that, that stands out the most. But look, I thought Kieran Gibbs did pretty well. I think he's growing into his role within the team as well. Not just because he scored the goal; he was a constant outlet for Inter Miami in this one. Even in the first half, even from minute one, when they did try to generate attacking sequences, they would pass through him and to him often. I think he finished tied for third. Yeah, that's what I wrote. He finished tied for third most in touches on Inter-Miami from the starters. And he had 54, and that's with him coming off in the 76th, 79th minute, somewhere around there. So he didn't even finish the game, and he finished tied for third most touches on the team. So I think he's growing into into his role with the group. This is only his fourth appearance with, with Inter-Miami, so there should be better performances ahead, something he touched on after the game. But, yeah, overall, it was a, a resilient performance because they they went down in this one uh, but came back and found, found the equalizer. Off of a great sublime cross from Victor Ulloa, who we've been talking about for a couple of pods now and how his level has raised... He whips in a great ball from his right wing back spot, not his natural position, but it's a great cross and a great finish by by Kieran Gibbs. So the two wing backs combine and score the goal for Inter Miami. I want to touch on Gonzalo Higuain really quickly because anytime you talk about Inter Miami, Gonzalo Higuain is a big talking point. I agree he did not have a great game. I agree that his touches were off. He was probably fatigued, playing on short rest. And not being at peak physical conditions. There's one play very early on in the second or third minute where he has the ball uh, entering the final third and he tries to do a dribbling move and his body just kind of, he like leaves the ball. He moves forward but leaves the ball and Orlando City just wins wins possession very, very easily. It's pretty awkward or, or weird to see, not something you, you normally see on, on, a, on a soccer field. But look, I think part of why he also struggled was because Inter Miami had this very defensive game plan and if you're going to play that defensive if you're going to focus on trying to be compact like I get Phil Neville maybe he's thinking we want his quality on the field because he can hit that type of pass like we saw him hit to Robbie Robinson a couple of games ago against CF uh excuse me against the Philadelphia Union but in a game like this where you're going to defend you're not going to generate all that much in the attack I, I don't know why you put him in especially on short rest I thought someone like Julian Carranza would have been a better fit for this one, given that he's more mobile, so he can give you more pressing, he can give you more runs in behind the defense, gives you more options when you are attacking. Even though he doesn't have the quality of Gonzalo Higuain, I think he gives you more options in terms of attacking. And in a game like this, you probably could have used that a little bit more. Because I think, and this goes back to your point that you said earlier, 
when Carranza came in and Pizarro came in, they came in simultaneously. They improved the team. They gave them more energy. Pizarro gave the team more attacking ideas with his quick, short passes. And Carranza, with his pressing and his energy and his mobility, caused Orlando City some problems as well. And if you look at the goal, Inter Miami's equalizing goal, they both combine in the lead-up. Uh, Pizarro passes it to Carranza. Carranza passes it back to Pizarro with his back-to-goal. Pizarro opens it out wide to Victor Uyo, and Uyo sends in the cross for Kieran Gibbs' great, great headed finish. So I thought they both played a part. Yeah, no, Carranza, yeah, he's just, you know, he's he's one of the bigger owners on the team, and just he just doesn't seem to be that that difference maker. I guess a hard worker, but just no real end product is there from him. No, I'm, I'm not, listen, I'm not saying he is, you know, he's been great and he deserves to start every single game. I'm just saying for this game, I think it would have been a better fit. I think Phil Neville. If he could maybe go back and reassess, I think he would. If he could do it over again, I think he would have started Julian Carranza over Gonzalo Higuain. Especially because we know Gonzalo Higuain is not at peak physical fitness. He had just played on Saturday. I know it's four days rest. Other players can manage and, and perform, but we know Gonzalo Higuain is not at his best physically. So I think that was maybe maybe not the right not the right call. But in the end, they get the result all the same. Uh, let's let's touch on Kieran Gibbs a little bit more because there's a couple of players I want to touch on in specific, and he's one of them. Kieran Gibbs scores his goal. Again, I, like I said earlier, he got a lot of touches. What have you seen from him so far in his first four appearances for Inter Miami? He's made three consecutive starts now. He's pretty much made the left fullback spot his. He started the last three games. And whether it's at left wing back or just left back, he's, he's playing that and manning that spot. So what have you seen from your compatriot, a fellow Englishman, to this point? Yeah, he's good on the ball, isn't he? He's sort of kind of always looking to make things happen positive. He gets getting gets forward pretty well. He's still pretty quick. I mean, he's what he's he's thirty one now, but you know, no, he's 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 got he can get up and down pretty well. Um, and he's got a good technique. Great great finish for the for the goal. Um, but he can get forward. He can cross. He can pass. Um, yeah, I just think he's just a good a good solid player and just gives them. Um, you know, a, sort of an atta- more of an attacking threat now down the left. I think that was key. You weren't really getting that yeah. with the other fullbacks. They were being sort of solid without really sort of, you know, bringing anything different. You know, he can kind of get forward and, a- and act as a as a winger, like a wing back effectively. And um, yeah, can help them out. So on that side of the pitch, it, it's fine. Yeah, I thought he, he's been doing a better job, of course, of getting forward, giving them a little bit more width, and a little bit more attacking profundity from that left-back spot. Christian McCoon, who has played there at times this year, not necessarily that effective at getting forward or being that much of a threat when he does get forward. So Kieran Gibbs, I think, has been able to do that a little bit better, and I think we saw that in this game. Because when Robbie Robinson, after he comes off in the 61st minute, and Inter Miami changes its formation a bit. Instead of going from the 5-2-3, it moves into a 5-2-1-2. And something Phil Neville said, he said he had Pizarro playing underneath the two, two forward options. There was nobody on the left anymore. Robbie Robinson, who was playing on the left, there was nobody in an advanced position playing just exclusively on the left. So Kieran Gibbs, who had been moving in and out of uh, attacking and defensive spots, as, the, as a wingback does, but he became a lot more effective at, at finding space and getting forward and that leads to the chance or to the opportunity where he sees the you know he sees the opportunity to make the run into the penalty area and he meets the cross from Victor Ulloa and of course finishes with a plum. So good good performance from Kieran Gibbs. Of course there is there are some things for him to improve. He touched on that after the game. 
I, I think he his passing was a little still still a bit off. Some of his decision making is still a bit off, and obviously his fitness is not at a hundred percent yet because he hasn't played a whole lot since the end of January. So that should get better with time as he learns his teammates' styles of play, etc. Works his fitness back up, etc. But good starting point for him. Last player I want to touch on here, Primo is Victor Ulloa. What have you thought of him? Because now we had been talking good praise about his performances in the center of the park. Now he goes over to the right wing back, out of position, and he still performs. Delivers a game-tying assist. What do you think of him in this one? I like him. I, I, he's the kind of player which before you kind of never really notice him because he just goes about and just does his job in a very quiet sort of way. But definitely been made aware more of him in the last few weeks or just taken more notice of what he's been doing as, as a whole. And yeah, I think he's just a good, solid team player. Phil Neville was bigging him up. What he said? He's like a dream first name on a team sheet, all that kind of thing. Um, I think he's just a good, solid team player. And actually, we spoke to him in the media a press conference earlier today. Um, and I suppose the pre-game press conference. The pre-game press conference. It's Friday afternoon. We did have the pre-game press conference ahead of this weekend's match against Nashville FC earlier this afternoon and Victor Rio was the player that spoke to us. So, I liked him. Yeah. yeah, I don't think I've ever spoken to him before. Yeah, yeah, he seems like a cool guy. Yeah, no. Um, He's a very team first type of guy. Like very... Solid. <laughs> that reminds me of somebody. That guys, reminds though. me of somebody. That, that solid reminds me of somebody. Um... No, he's <laughs> he's uh like I said like I said on the last part he's un cumplidor solid if unspectacular he doesn't necessarily win you games although in this one he he did show a little bit more of an element to his game by whipping in that great cross um, but he just does the little things right he does his job solidly now however something that he said today Friday in the pregame press conference that I think made my ears perk and I think it also made your ears perk up was that he said. Phil Neville, David Beckham, and the like have asked him to take more risks, to pass forward, to not play safe all the time, which is what he has, by and large, yeah. been throughout his career. And we have seen that now in this in this last spell. So what, what were your thoughts on, on that and, and his comments there? No, I mean, that that's great that those guys, you know, especially someone like Beckham, can impart you know his knowledge and, and help out, you know... Um, Everyone, you, you're probably rolling your eyes now, but obviously Beckham's been around. You know, Neville was saying how he's he's helped. You know, you know, boost morale at the training ground, all that kind of stuff. And yeah, it, it is all cliche and whatever. But I definitely think, and that was just a nice snippet because he's, you know, he clearly talks for the players. He's got a vested interest, and yeah, of course, he's gonna they're gonna pass on you know tips to help him. You know, try and try and improve. I, I wish I've been saying for a while. I wish he would more of them would play you know balls forward rather than sideways anyway. But um, you know, it's um, he, he's he's just a solid sort of team player. And it's just nice to hear the stuff behind the scenes, even though you are rolling your eyes at me <laughs> thinking about Beckham running around and high fiving everyone. But I think it, you know, it, it does it does make an it does have an impact for sure if you've got someone like that walking around with his experience. Um, but there you go. I'll, I'll say that I think it's good on Beckham and good on the coaching staff to impart that confidence to give that confidence to a player to say, hey. We think you can do this. Try and do this. Give that player the confidence to do that. And then, obviously, of course, credit to Victor Ulloa for executing uh, and, and making good on the belief that's given to him because he's showing that now he can make impact and make an impact in more ways than one. And, you know, playing safe is has been kind of what maybe has made him fly under the radar because he doesn't, again, necessarily 
do anything in the final third to, that makes him stand out. He doesn't get on the score sheet or the stat sheet a whole lot. I don't think he... No, he has not scored for Inter-Miami yet, so... I think, you know, things like that have made him fly under the radar, but now we're starting to see him help set up goals, and I think that will maybe draw some more attention to him if he can keep this up. Quickly, Steve, last thing I want to touch on from this game are set pieces. That was one of my three takeaways from this game because the game was a cagey affair, not a whole lot in it from either side, but Orlando City scores off of a corner kick, a well-worked corner kick, right before halftime, and they get the breakthrough, and they take the lead as a result of that. Not from the run of play, from a dead ball situation. Inter-Miami still cannot score from dead ball situations. They are, they have scored one, one all year, and that was back in week two. We are now in week 17, going on to week 18. Phil Neville has said that they're getting better, that they're practicing on it, there's more confidence within the players on, on set pieces. But we're not seeing that because Inter-Miami in this one, Lewis Morgan's deliveries were were very erratic. A lot were short and, and not in, placed in good spots. When they were placed in good spots, players just didn't get on the end of them. How does Inter-Miami fix this? Can they fix this or are they, are they destined to have set-piece struggles the rest of the season because they've tried different things. They've tried to get more creative, to play short. They've tried a bunch of different things, and nothing has worked. And again, for me, when you see Orlando City, the rival, be able to score and break open a game like that, it just puts the spotlight on how Inter Miami still cannot do that. It still can't find ways to do that. And that would be so much more beneficial if they could because in games like this where you can't score or where you're struggling to generate much in the final third from the run of play, a set piece can get you in the game or it can give you the lead or it can give you the win. So what do you think? Is this is this a fixable, problem, solvable problem or is Inter Miami doomed to struggle with set pieces all year? <laughs> I mean, what, a Nostradamus? I mean, can I look into the future? I mean, I mean based, they, on, I what, based just... on what you're seeing, based on what we, we've no, seen I mean, game you know, they in work game on, out. They work on these things. Of course, they're working on these things, you know, every week. I guess, you know, Lewis Morgan hasn't really been at the level of what he was, you know, last season. His delivery's not been as good. Um, yeah, you know, maybe it's just it's just down to that, and they they practice it and they work on it, and you know, that's an area they certainly need to improve on. But you know, I guess it's symptomatic of a team that probably not playing well. Yeah, you've got to try and t- hammer home your advantage. You're definitely decent on set plays, as I know with my own managerial career on a football manager. I'm having the guy <laughs> just runs into the post. I'm I'm organised. You've got to be organised, and you know, drum it into them. And I guess they've been drummed into. It's just not not happening, but. You know, they'll get the rub of the green at some point. I mean, they could score a goal off a set piece here and there, but if they're going look, they're fifteen games in, they've scored one off a dead ball situation. That's not a good haul. I mean, yeah, it's, that's not a good return it's by good. any any estimation or by any any uh reach of the imagination. They need to do better. No one's they saying need to it find is. A, no, but they need to they need to find a way. They need to solve they need to resolve this and find a way. I think as you know, you gotta start trying different things. I think one is not having Lewis Morgan take the, take the corner kicks anymore. Yes, he's ambidextrous. He can hit with the right foot, with the left foot. He has shown in the past that he can deliver a good ball, but right now it's not working. Even last year, even last year, I you know I don't know if you remember, but I did a 16-minute video recapping all of Inter Miami's set pieces that were available on match highlights as a, as a response to Diego Alonso tasking me with doing that. And you know, one of my biggest takeaways was that Inter Miami only has one real target that actually has the conviction and confidence and aggressiveness to get on the end of things on a consistent basis, and that was and is Leandro Gonzalez-Pires. He has still shown that this year, but he's the only one. 
When's the last time you saw Nicolas Stigal get on the end of a cross and, and create something? Or, or Ryan Shawcross, who's a, who's a big body. Breck Shea, Gonzalo Higuain. You don't see it. Those players are not getting on the end of things. I also think, again, Lewis Morgan, his set-piece delivery has been erratic, so I think maybe it's time to go with somebody else, whether it's Federico Higuain if he's starting, or maybe even Gonzalo Higuain. I know you want him in the box, but if he's not winning aerial challenges and struggling physically, maybe it's something you consider. I don't know. They, they have to reevaluate that because that is a big part of the game that they need to improve on. And Phil Neville knows that. He said if, you know, after the, the weekend game, he wants to see his center backs start scoring three, four, five goals each. So uh, we'll leave it there. <laughs> we'll leave it there. Uh, we'll take a quick break, and then we'll come back and really quickly preview this weekend's match against Nashville SC at home at Drive Pink Stadium for Inter-Miami. We had a system of play that we thought would cause them problems, and it did. Uh, I still think we can play better in terms of in possession, but I thought we looked really solid defensively. Uh, players that came in were outstanding. Players that played out of position were outstanding. And uh, I think what I said to them at the end is we're beginning to resemble a team, a team that can fight back from uh, disappointments, going to go down, and competing against the best teams. You think Philadelphia, Montreal... Uh, and today against Orlando, we've 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 competed and, and, and been equally as good. So uh, I want them to have more belief. I want them to have the belief that I have in them. And uh, I think it's another it's another small step forward uh, in terms of where we want to get to. Okay, primo. So Inter Miami hosts Nashville SC. It's expansion brother from twenty twenty on Sunday at six p.m. Um, a little bit of an earlier game because the games have been kicking off late as of late. Pardon the, the redundancy there, but they have been kicking off a bit later, 7.30, 8 o'clock kickoffs. This one's at 6, so if you're listening to this and you're planning to go, don't forget that valuable piece of information. Nashville SC is right now in fourth place in the Eastern Conference. They have a 6-win, 10-draw, and 1-loss record. So they've only lost one time this year. One time. Now, Inter-Miami is on a three-game unbeaten run. And in that three-game unbeaten run, they have tied the Philadelphia Union and tied Orlando City, which are the third and second place teams in the East, respectively. So, Inter-Miami has been able to get results against better teams, teams high up in the standings. But they have yet to score on Nashville SC in all their meetings that they've ever had. So that's three meetings. Inter Miami has not scored on Nashville SC in those three games, and they've also not won a, a meeting in those three games, of course. Also of note that those were different circumstances. Diego Alonso was coach in those three previous encounters. Now Phil Neville's the head coach. This will be his first match against Nashville SC. Steve, what do you think about the key to the game? What is the key to the game for Inter Miami? And this one to at least get a result. Is a win possible or is a draw at home more likely given the two teams' current forms? Well, you think about that that playoff match, they were just horrible, weren't they? Nashville was so much better than them that night. Much better team, uh, just better cohesion about them. And, you know, they, they've, and they've been great again, you know, this, this season. That's the sort of template that Miami need to need to adopt I guess is to you know just to have that sort of cohesion together and um but you know I think uh they just have to keep they just have to keep going I definitely think confidence is is up it's just again whether or not they could just score score enough goals so it'd be interesting to see what he did he does with you know Gonzalo Higuain 
Um, you know, that's maybe three games of the week. It's just is is too much. Maybe Pizarro will get the start. Um, you just never know. He's going to have to change things up. I think you know a, a fair bit, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. We, Freshen and, things up. And yeah, and that's something I asked him today during the pregame press conference: is how much change can we expect? Obviously, I don't expect him to give us the starting lineup, but how much change can we expect? Given that it's third game in nine days, he had talked previously about managing minutes, managing workloads. It's common and often that you see in MLS when teams have this type of stretch with this many games in short order that there are changes at some point, whether it's the midweek game or the end of the week game. Normally you see some changes. Nashville SC rested players during their midweek match, so they will be fresh for this match. It's going to be a pretty tough task for Inter Miami, especially given that, as we know, Nashville, dating back to last year and this year, under Gary Smith, are very tough to break down, very tough defensively. Again, Inter-Miami has not scored on them yet. And Inter-Miami this season is having attacking problems. So it'll be very curious to see how they go about this one. I would imagine Federico Iguain gets back into the lineup. That's just my 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 thoughts. Although Pizarro is probably an option too because Phil Neville's been gushing about him since his return, saying he's been he's close to finding his best form. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know if that's just lip service, but I don't know if I, if I agree with that. But regardless... It's going to be a tough task for Inter-Miami. I, I think the key to the game for them, we're going back to the attack. Because defensively, Nashville is not going to challenge you excessively. Although they, 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 ha- they have the ability to score goals. They have scored goals on Inter-Miami in the past. Their strength lies in their defense. And I think Inter-Miami needs to find ways to create chances and be efficient in putting them away. So... That's the key to the game for me, and I, I feel like I've used that quite a bit as of late, being efficient in the final third, but given how few chances Inter-Miami produces, I think that that will, be, that will be vital. I also think if you can get more from your wings, and this goes more into the line of Lewis Morgan, more so than Robbie Robinson, because I think Robbie Robinson has demonstrated more as of late, I think if you can get more from the wings, I think that will be beneficial as well, especially from, from Lewis Morgan out there on the right. But that's just that's just you know my, my my thoughts, Steve. What changes do you think we could see to the lineup? What what moves do you think Phil Neville could make if he does make a few? I know you touched on Gonzalo Higuain. I agree that I think he probably comes out of the lineup in this one. But what do you think? What anybody else that you could see being moved in or out of the lineup? Yeah, well they're at home as well, so I guess you know that's more even more you know reason to go on the front foot and attack. Probably been Federico Higuain back as well. I, I would have thought uh, uh, somewhere does, does Gonzalez Perez has he come back in at the back? Yeah, absolutely. I think Gonzalez Perez is an absolute change. I think he's going to step back into the starting to the starting lineup at at the back. Now it's does Phil Neville go with this five at the back or does he go with the normal four? What do you think? Does, no, do you bring do you bring Shawcross back? He's sort of been Shawcross you know, been did injured. train. He said Shawcross trained yeah. today, so Shawcross Jay, is an option. Jay um, Chapman maybe. I don't know. Uh, it's a t- Give Carranza it's tough. maybe maybe Carranza to start. You you were raving about him, saying how wonderful he was when he came on. So maybe this is a it was a different chance, game, different game. Five hundred and seven for him to show that uh, <laughs> he could potentially do it. I'm sure that he, he can. I want him to by all means. Okay, I will say you know if we're gonna do a lineup prediction, this is what I think Inter Miami will do. I think while this five man backline has worked, I think being at home, I think knowing Nashville's defensive solidity. And their strength there, I think you'll see more of a 
normal lineup where Inter Miami will try to attack as much as they try to defend, or at least more balanced in that way. So I, I think they'll go yeah, to the four, yeah, four four two. Yeah, <laughs> I say four two three one, and I think we'll see Nick Marsman in goal. Who, by the way, his distribution has been excellent. Uh, very impressed with what I've seen from him with the ball at his feet in his first few appearances for the team. But Nick Marsman in goal. Kelvin Leardam at right back. Nicolas Figal at right center back. Leandro Gonzalez Pires at left center back. Kieran Gibbs at left back. Although today, Friday, again, Phil Neville said that Kieran Gibbs is one of the players they have to take a look at because he's not at 100% fitness and he's been playing two games in quick succession. This would be a third, so they have to really assess and see how he recovers. But I think they'll still. They'll still give him the start, although it could possibly be that he doesn't, but we'll see. Uh, the first line of the midfield, I think it'll be Victor Ulloa again next to Gregory. And then I think you'll see the second line of the midfield be Lewis Morgan, Federico Higuain, and Robbie Robinson on the left. Up top, Julian Carranza. Pizarro could be a possibility, though, at that 10. Now, the more that I think about it, Pizarro could be a possibility for that 10, especially if Gonzalo Higuain is not starting and they have Carranza up there so maybe we see Pizarro may, I may, I, I'm hedging my bets there I actually kind of think now that, that Pizarro will start over Federico so I quickly switch my answer last minute uh, adjustment Pizarro oh, at the 10 not, not Federico hey listen you. I gotta give you credit you know you got the, the score prediction correct I did for I the, did. For the weekend for everyone that believed me thank my, you for everyone that believed me no one my, my step my stepdad actually was like oh Primo got the he, you know he kind of said over the over the weekend he like looked at me and he was like oh Primo got it right you, you. Gotta get, you gotta give him his props on the next pod and I was like thank you <laughs> I was like look Primo got absolutely it absolutely right Primo. why is your stepdad even telling you that you should have Primo, done it anyway Primo, disgraceful Primo, Primo got it right you got it right Kudos to you. But what I told my, my stepdad, and I'll say it here as well, you also hedged your bets, my friend, because you said 0-0 zero, zero at first, then you said 1-1. One, one. It's not the same when you predict two scores as you predict one. See, so I, I'm just following your lead now, and I'm predicting two players, although no, I'm saying Rodolfo Pizarro starts at 10. Erase that I said Federico Iguain starting. I think Rodolfo Pizarro starts at 10. So we have the lineup that we think will go, or at least you know I gave out my lineup. Prediction time. Does Inter-Miami... Get a result here. Do they keep this unbeaten run going or do they fall back to the losing column? Do they even score against Nashville? Maybe we should start there. Do they score their first ever goal against Nashville SC? I think so, man. I think so. Look, they're at home. I think that, you know, that obviously that helps regardless. There's a bit of confidence back. They're going to go for it. I mean, they're, they're evenly matched sides, aren't they? It's just, it's all about just who, who turns up on the day, really. So, um, yeah, I, I think so. I think they'll be positive and try and go for it. Why not? Uh, you know, the, the last three games have shown, certainly even Wednesday night, you know, they just they just hung in there. And then, you know, when they break, they have got some players. That if they can just, they have their moment, then they can they can score. So, um, you know, yeah, I think at home, you have to fancy them to, to weaken out. But that's, so you predict them to win, but you didn't give me a score? 2-1. Uh, I think they're always going always to concede, but they can score as well. I'm going to say... Now, this is a tough one. This is a tough one because it just depends on what Nashville proposes in the game in terms of the attack. You know what? Maybe this is a bit optimistic of me, but you know, I think Inter Miami, like you said, their confidence is higher. I don't think that it'll be a, a great display of soccer, but I think Inter Miami pulls it out. 1-0. 1-0 Inter Miami victory. They finally get their first goal against Nashville, and they finally get their first 
win against Nashville. Steve, let's leave it there. We'll take a quick break. We'll do a quick Q&A session just to at least answer one question or a multi-layered question and give our final thoughts. And we'll do that after this. Okay, Steve, so let's do a quick Q&A session. We'll just answer one question just for the sake of time because, again, we went very long on Tuesday or Monday, sorry. So the question that we will pick here comes from Lewis, and it's not really a question because there's three questions in the one tweet, so it's, uh, it's actually three questions, and it says, this is his tweet, Primo, one, do you agree that the team played better when Iguain was replaced? Two, does Phil have the courage to sit Iguain again and start with Robbie Carranza and Morgan? Three, Indiana or Federico for Matuidi, Ulloa and Gregori sitting back. Can anyone argue against that? So, Steve, those questions were directed at you, my friend. I will also chime in, but uh, I, will, I will let you start with the first one. Do you agree that the team played better this midweek when Iguain was replaced in the Sunshine Classico, El Clasico del Sol? Yes, because Iguain was, was terrible, was, wasn't great, wasn't on it at all, and they were much better when he went off, yes. Look, he wasn't good, but again, I, you have to reiterate the fact that they're playing so defensive-minded. I don't know why. Yeah, you know, but, too they, many, but, too but, many but games what, for him in a week. But too what, many games right. for him Oh, no, absolutely. Week. Absolutely. But just to quickly touch on that point, if you're going to be so defensive-minded, why start with something? No, but he's the best he's, player, though. What do you want? I mean, he's... He, he, you have to sit him. That doesn't mean that the game plan is necessarily going to suit him. He had 19 touches, the lowest of any player on the team. And that's because, sure, he was not sharp and not, not uh, fit enough to, to have more of an impact, but... The game plan was also not designed for a player like him. It's not doesn't play to his strengths, in my opinion. And that's why he had so few touches and was left largely on an island because the ball never really got to him. Uh, Inter Miami lost the possession battle by a good bit in the first half, and then he was subbed off 15 minutes, 16 minutes into the second half because his energy just isn't there. So I don't think that they necessarily used him in the best way in this game. Anyway... We'll go to the second part of Luis's question. Does Phil have the courage to sit Iguain again and start with Robbie Carranza and Morgan? I think so. I predicted Carranza starts. I think because of the point we just talked about, about Iguain's fitness, and this being the third game in nine days, I think he does get rested in this one and comes off the bench in the final 20, 30 minutes, if that's what the game's calling for. Yeah. Um, I think I think I think you're right. No, I don't. I don't he's not afraid to make changes. I mean, he's, he's, he's already dropped him once, remember? He dropped him from the squad. Uh, for for not being fit, so um, <laughs> he didn't say he's afraid. He said, "Does Phil have the courage to sit Iguain again?" Yeah, of course. But, you know, <laughs> it's implied. Is, it's implied that you know he might he might not have. You know, the courage. you're a manager. You're looking at, around in in the locker room and you see your best player. You just you're always thinking he's gonna that, this is gonna be it. He's gonna he's gonna do it this weekend, and he has he has produced. It's just he, he's not gonna get it on a consistent on a consistent level, I guess, just because of fitness and various other issues so um but yeah i think coming off the bench he's he's kind of rotated people and he's ch- kind of getting the best out of them that way maybe with bizarro matweedy had a spell out and then he comes back in he looks half decent again um so it's just you know you can't he, he can't be guaranteed performances from everyone but in fits and spurts he is getting them i think that's all he can he can hope for right now the final part of the question the multi-layered question or the multi-layered tweet 
In the end, or Federico for Matuidi, Ulloa and Gregory sitting back. Can anyone argue against that? So, look, I am not saying that I would start Rodolfo Pizarro, but I think Pizarro starts, Like as I said in the in this segment before, in the previous segment. Steve, what do you think? Do you think it's going to be Federico for Matuidi, Pizarro for Matuidi? Do you think Matuidi stays in the lineup? Do you think Indiana Vasilev comes in? What do you think they do um, in terms of a more creative force do they bring in a more creative force or do they stick with this with the midfield with Matuidi in there um good question can he can Matuidi play two and a half games in a week um could be could be tough for him um I think maybe being Federico Higuain in the bag he's out of he's out of rest isn't he and then I'd, so I'd you would start st- Federico not Pizarro yeah but do you think that that would be what Phil does again there's there's what we would do and then there's what Phil would do I think he'll I think he'll he'll make change I think I think he may give uh, uh, Gonzalo Higuain a rest no but no at the 10 at the 10 do you, you're saying you would bring in you would bring personally Federico Higuain in but what would what do you think Phil does there I think he does the same so he brings in Federico I think so yeah yeah okay. you say Federico I say I say Rodolfo Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, hey, look, Federico's a good shout as well because he has been helping them with link-up play and that will be needed against Nashville SC. I might just hedge my bets again and go back on, on what I said. No, I'm just kidding. I'll stick with I'll stick with Rodolfo, Rodolfo Pizarro. From Gay P, wouldn't have been better to open some general allocation money on this window to not have to rush and sell on the lowest when we open again and we have to have the mandatory cap open for the sanctions. I was looking and letting go... LGP, Leandro Gonzalez-Pires, and another targeted allocation money player. We should be okay for the next year. So, the question there is, to sum up, should Inter-Miami have gotten rid of some players in this window to prepare for the sanctions that will come at the end of the year when the next transfer window opens? Yes, it would have been better in terms of planning for the longer-term future, but it would come at a cost this year, as Steve has reported on this podcast on more than one occasion, Inter-Miami was looking to, to offload some players if they could. The Athletic also came out this week and reported that Inter-Miami was attempting to, or had attempted to in recent weeks, deal Leandro González-Pires, Nicolás Figal, and Kelvin Leerdam to other MLS teams. So it was definitely something that Inter-Miami tried to do. But look, MLS teams know that Inter-Miami is in this predicament, so they're not going to be inclined to give up proper value in a trade or in a deal for these players because they know Inter Miami's up against it. They're up against the wall. So it's a tough thing for Inter Miami to figure out, for Chris Henderson to figure out. He ended up sticking with the players he has. You can expect some changes or more changes in the off season. I mean, look, they're def- they were definitely trying to offload Gonzalez Perez. I was told constantly that, yes, we're going to have to get rid of at least one or two of the of the first teamers. So they tried, they tried, they wanted to make changes. They were trying to, you know, they were definitely trying to get rid of Pizarro. I know that for a fact. And certainly with Gonzalez Perez, Carranza, if they would have had bids for them, if club other clubs would have shown interest, I'm sure they would have moved one of them on. You know, Carranza is on nine hundred thousand dollars a year. That was definitely one they could have moved on. He's a higher earner. Couldn't couldn't get rid of him. Couldn't get rid of him just like can't get rid of Pizarro and they couldn't get rid of, of Gonzalez Perez either. So it's it's tough. It's tough when it's they have when they them. when they make so much when they make so much coin and the teams doing so poorly. Who wants these players, especially at what they're making? It's very tough. It's a to problem. To find, it's a massive yeah. problem for them because they need to balance the books first, and they haven't been able to do that within this window, which is 
We've been, been talking about this for the last two months about how they're going to try and push out Gonzalez Perez or Carranza. None of it has actually come come to fruition, which I, you know, I haven't, we haven't asked the question directly, but I think that would probably, you know, it's a problem for them. They would have wanted to certainly move some people on and the fact they haven't it, is madly frustrating and it, and it could, then it's going to impact them when it gets to the next transfer window in the close season when we're talking into this season, you know, they, they've still got the same players in the books and, and is Bizarro going to be any better or more valuable unless he unless he really produces right now, you know that's you know, it's, it's problems for them. They can't get rid of the players they want to get rid of. I think it was notable just to end that thought. I think it was notable that during a recent press conference, Phil Neville was asked about the academy season starting back up again, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And his response, in his longer response, one thing he said was that four to five of the younger players that are in the pipeline or on Fort Lauderdale CF will be in contention to earn a roster spot next year. Clearly, to me, that indicates that... I mean, we know this. It's not a secret. But clearly, to me, that indicates that the plans are in the works for some of those young players to come up because of the sanctions that Inter Miami is going to be faced. They're going to lose the ability to sign some of that middle to upper tier part of the roster, and they're going to have to replace because of the sanctions due to Matuidi-gate with cheaper options that includes some of these younger players off Fort Lauderdale CF or the Academy. So, Steve, let's leave it there. It's a very quick Q&A session this pod, and we'll go to your final thoughts. I, you, you know, normally your final thoughts are about Inter-Miami, but we had a nice little talk about Messi before we started recording. I, I'm kind of curious if your final thought goes in that direction. Well, that's it. I mean, you know, the Messi, I was told that Messi certainly was in the previous contract. If, if, if everyone's obviously looking at the story right now, but... In the contract that he initially agreed with Barcelona, that the fact was he was going to come to MLS for two years. That you know, in, in two years' time, Inter Miami were very, very confident they, that was going to happen. He he would come here to Inter Miami. Obviously, now that has fallen by the wayside because you know Barcelona's financial problems mean that they can't accept that that particular contract. So he's going to go to PSG. Okay, PSG are owned. They're powered by a state, a Gulf state, Qatar, just like Man City are by Abu Dhabi. And um, it's unfortunately the, for one of the greatest players given one of the dullest transfers. He goes to PSG, paid three hundred thousand dollars a year for for a couple of years. He plays up front with Neymar and Kylian Mbappe. They get to the Champions League final. They lose one nil to Leicester, and then it all goes wrong for him. And then he just he eventually appears in South Florida. But come on, Lionel, let's have a bit more imagination and go to somewhere that's just a, you know is a bit more exciting than a, than a golf run club like PSG want to go to I don't know what do you think Juventus I, I heard Milan. I heard I heard on a on a Spanish talk show them say he should go to Napoli Napoli's never won the Champions League it would kind of follow in the footsteps of the the great late Diego Maradona but I mean where should he go you know it'd be cool you know it'd be cool if he went to Juventus and played with Ronaldo <laughs> that would be awesome yeah but how, is, all right, but how is that how is that there's no feud and together we'll, we'll finish seventh in, the, in, the, in a Serie A and, and go not and go in, out in the uh, group stage of the Champions League but it was fun no, imagine that that would be all, that would be cool I think now, the how, PSG thing is so dull. It's so boring. How is that any? How is that much better than going to PSG? But it's like PSG. You know that they, they they all. Juventus has some, some some slack roster. That they don't have talent on that roster. Is that uh, what you're saying? Well, the Ronaldo the, <laughs> the Ronaldo thing is cool, isn't it? You know, if you could play with Ronaldo, and that's his fine. You know, they're always who's the better player? Yeah, but they play on the same team. But 
Maybe for team chemistry, that wouldn't go down very well. If, uh, <laughs> now they saw Messi walking and, hey, how you doing? We're teammates now. right? Messi, okay. Every time Messi scores, Ronaldo takes off his shirt, not in celebration, oh, but, in, but in frustration. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, we go to England somewhere, but Man City don't want him. They've just paid nearly $150 million for, for Jack Grealish. Yeah, I bet they regret that. I bet they regret that. Um, no, I don't know, man. Grealish is young, guys. No. If you could have Messi or Grealish, you're taking Messi no, any of day course, of the week. But, Come on, brother. Come but on. listen, this is also Man City who are being investigated by you know various people for financial irregularity. Yeah, they could still pay $100 million, $150 million for a player. So, um, you know, it's uh, their cash resources. Man City would have been interesting with the, with the reunion with Pep and trying to help Man City get its first... UEFA Champions League title. And but they crown. also want Harry Kane for 100, which is going to cost nearly 200 million. So um, I think it would have been interesting. I think it would have been interesting seeing him at Man right. City. Although I don't, you know, I don't know how his how his style would translate to the to the Premier League. I'm not saying he Chelsea would, or Man United. D- but, definitely um, not. No, Messi is listen. No, no offense to any Chelsea fans or Chelsea there in general, but Messi would is not going to Chelsea like that. That just not that is not a fit for him. Chelsea a big um, club, man. Chelsea a big club, with a lot of money. Look at the Google. Everyone Google how much money Roman Abramovich has and then tell me that he won't be able to afford Messi. I didn't they say can he afford can't it. afford Messi. I just don't think it has... It's just... No, it's just not the, it's not no, the fit listen. for him. It's not the fit for him. It's not the fit for him. Living um, in... Listen, uh, I'm biased, of course. You know, live in the centre of London. Everything that has to come. He'll play there for a season or two. I mean, you know, it great, great. It'd be a good thing for him to chalk off if he comes to the Premier League. That's a huge story, obviously. But it's a big challenge for him as well. He's never... He's only really ever he's only ever played in La Liga, so it'd be interesting. I hope that he, he makes the move to a more competitive league in England or Italy or Spain rather than going to France. I just think that's, and I'm sure David Beckham will argue otherwise. But I don't know him, Neymar and Mbappe, yeah, together would be awesome. But it's not interesting. And then with they win the Champions League, but again, that's what they wanted to be. They want to be about a Champions League. But our phones come to the Premier League and try and win something. Hey, if it's Mbappe, Neymar, and Messi, you would call it M N M. There it is. I just gave you the the million. Do- <laughs> I gave you the million dollar idea. My final thought is away from the field. I will say a big thank you to Ivis Galarsep and SBI Soccer, my home for the last oof, more than a, more than a decade. I think it's twelve, almost thirteen years that I've been writing for SBISoccer.com. But there's structural changes going on there. And I am no longer part of the staff. Actually, the staff is is gone. It's just a one-man army over there now with Ivis Galarsip. I wish him the best. He's uh, He's been a great mentor, a great boss, and he's become not only a friend but a family member. He will be at future family functions. He's become a, a very close person in my life. So thank you again, Ivis. Thank you again, SBI Soccer. This does mean that, like Messi, I am a free agent now. So we'll see what the future Holds and no, I will not be going to Chelsea. Steve, that does it for this week's podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening for the second time this week. We'll be back early next week to review this game against Nashville SC. We'll see if Intermind can keep its unbeaten run going and if it can pick up the second win in this stretch. For Steve Brenner, I am Franco Penizo. This is Miami Total Football Radio, and we'll talk to you guys again.